Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of Leverage 2 Market Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. We're here today with Alan Willett. Alan is the president of Oxseeker Corp., uh, and he's the master of the friction points of organizations that are highly dependent on technology. This ranges from those organizations that create world-class software products to the ones that use their own product to create their own competitive advantage. Um, and he is the expert who transforms organizational friction points to produce positive results for the business and the people that create and use the technology. So welcome, Alan. Happy to be here. Okay. So first of all, you've written a book called uh, Leading the Unleadable. Wow. Um, if you're unleadable, uh, do you, how do you get led? Why, can you give us an example of, of what is an unleadable type of person? Well, I've run into lots of leaders and managers that really have a trouble with certain types of people, uh, and I think these people are often very gifted. Uh, the examples I have are like, ma- like in the title, Mavericks, uh, Cynics, and Divas. Each one of them brings strong gifts, but if they're not managed properly, they can be very problematic to an organization. So, th- so this is within a technical organization. Would you say all organizations have these types of people? Absolutely. All organizations have these types of people. And many leaders I talk to say that their organization has it worse than the other types of organizations. I don't have enough data yet to say there's correlation, but uh, I guess it depends on the leader. Yeah, and I would guess that um, when, you, when you see something like that, you always feel like it's worse here than somewhere else. So that may be just one of those, the grass is greener on the other side. Absolutely. Uh, so what happens when a, a situation with an unleadable person isn't addressed? Wow. I'll give you uh, two different stories. Uh, one story is pretty dramatic. Uh, in this one organization, there was a, a diva. Actually, it was a male, so I guess mm-hmm. that would be Devo. Um, but I, I'm more familiar with the term diva. But he really wanted things to be just so. And he wanted it always to go his way. And as often happens, uh, these unleadable people are often very charismatic. This guy was charismatic, and he had very strong opinions about how this organization should be doing its development. And he started to get a following, but it was against what the policies and procedures were for the organization. And the leaders didn't put it in check by any means. So that meant they had problems with actually a, a team getting very divided because some people started to follow this guy's fairly outrageous ideas. Some of them were mm-hmm. cool, and other people were against it, and it really started to leak out into other parts of the organization where there was this large schism on this team of like 50 people, and they, really it went too far. They ended up having to f- uh, move this person out of the organization in spite of what great skills he had. They could have stopped this very early. So why don't you just fire these people if they're causing that kind of disruption to an organization? Well, I do have a chapter dedicated to that called (laughs) To Remove or Improve. Yep. Uh, And 
the, I want to go back to the tragedy is oftentimes these managers just let this go too long when there's really opportunities very early to nip it in the bud. But let, let's start with the remover improve. What I really recommend to people is they build what I call a, just a little simple matrix of the key characteristics you care about. And for example, are they beloved by the organization or hated? Uh, this actually is important because if they're really uh, beloved by a lot of people, it can be disruptive. So you mm -hmm. want to take that into consideration. Two, uh, are they, do they have rare skills for the organization or are they, you can get them uh, off the street, just walk down mm -hmm. the street, find somebody to replace them. Do they have skills that you need for the future? Um, and what's the timing of the project? Do you need those skills to get something across the finish line? You really got to take all those things into consideration. And what I have found, when people are, when managers are uh, on the horns of the dilemma of remove or improve, filling out this matrix really helps them get clarity. And what I find most times, people say the fifth factor is the most important one, the one I didn't mention, which is, have you given them feedback in the past and they've shown that they can improve? Oh, interesting. And a lot of times what the managers realize, they haven't actually given the proper feedback to even find that out. So if they look at all those factors, they really decide to improve, then they can have the opportunity to give feedback that leads to a positive difference. And that's the key thing managers have to learn how to do. So I'm wondering then if some of these people who appear to be unleadable are actually more likely unled. <laughs> Often the case. For yeah. example, cynics. By the way, like I say, each of these have gifts. Right. You might not think a cynic is a gift to your organization, but they are. Because cynics bring a reality check. Yep. Have you run into blue sky people? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And if you have too many blue sky people in a room, they can run off with this grand idea that's not connected to the earth. It's not going to do anything. It'll get people lost. The cynics often bring this pessimistic view that really puts things in the balance. They just have to be in the proper balance. So in this one organization, this manager was complaining about the rampant cynicism throughout his organization. I watched one of the meetings. The lead cynic, who the guy told me was a lead cynic, um, somebody brought up a great idea. And the cynic immediately shot it down with some scathing, bitter, beautiful humor. It was hilarious. <laughs> and everybody else laughed, and that guy shut up with his idea. Nobody else put forth any other ideas. Right. Nobody else wanted to be shot at, yep. That's right. The guy was good at it. And I talked to the manager afterwards, and the manager was like, what should I do? I said, well, you've been tolerating this for how long now? What do you mean? You have an opportunity to, for the time and place for this guy to give that kind of feedback, but not when people are bringing up good ideas, and that was a good idea. Mm -hmm. And I said, you own this. And he said, you're right. I've been um, tolerating this from lots of people. It's my job to set the right pace. So as you said, often the unleadable are unled. So this manager was able to give the cynic the proper feedback and gave him the proper space to give those opinions, and it really helped transform the whole organization from a frowny face to, you know, a smiley face.
That's great. That's fantastic. And and the actual this individual was able to take the feedback and adjust his behavior appropriately. That's correct. Chapter five that's, in the book. That's great. Chapter that's five great. in the book. I just got to say is all about really how to give that feedback yep. in a way that leads to the positive difference, and that's critical. So can you give us a couple of keys to how we could improve our own leadership? Because I, I don't think this is – you talk about this in technology pe- uh, organizations, and you talk about this with software developers, et cetera. But coming from the marketing space, we have our own divas and cynics and mavericks and creatives, right? So we have this whole issue about people who want to go off and be creative and don't want to be uh, harnessed by you know, the, the bureaucracy of an organization. So what are the things that even on – even if you're not in a technical part of an organization, what are some of the ways that all of us could improve our leadership in leading the unleadable? Uh, great question. I'll give you five. Two of them are preventative and three are reactive. Okay. Uh, preventative. Uh, set really high bars for the team. I really find that I've met a lot of teams where there's like leadership groups that are kind of warring with each other. Mm-hmm. And what I often find is they do not have a shared huge goal they're going after. You know, it's called uh, what the big hairy goal is the right. word now. Right, right. What I say is you've got to give teams mountains to climb, something that's inspiring, motivated, and really hard. Mm-hmm. Because the preventive part of that is you get people arguing about how to get up the mountain, not about who said what, when. Right. So I'm okay with them arguing. But the next thing is you've got to really set clear expectations of excellence, how you expect people to behave, how you expect them to work together, what kind of quality level you expect from them, what kind of work ethic, et cetera. And I find that's the uh, second critical part that people usually don't do. Um, So those are two preventative. Any questions on those before I move on? No, those make sense. And if those don't work or you haven't implemented those, what do you do in, in within the you know when the building is burning, so to speak? Oh, absolutely. Yep. By the way, these are reactive ones, and these yep. are. By the way, these are you can do without doing the first two. It's just okay. if you do the first two, you often prevent problems and you make the reactive a lot easier. Okay. Um, so the next is, you have to really develop your radar for trouble, and what I mean by that is, you want to be able to catch things before they are on fire. So there's a lot of ways to do this, and I, I do detail that in the book as well. But what, what I suggest, for example, is um, if you see people in meetings uh, going to their phones and computers, et cetera, that's an indicator that the facilitator is really not engaging the whole audience, for example. That's a small example. Or you can look and see if some people are behaving differently suddenly. You know, they've been coming in at 7.30, and all of a sudden they're not showing up until 9.30. These are indicators of trouble, even if there's not real trouble yet. So one is develop your radar for trouble. Look into things that are different, that are just an inkling. Number two, when there is trouble, get in there and um, give feedback. And what I, one of the keys to the feedback, and this is the uh, number three, is mm-hmm. really know that people really have good intentions. Mm-hmm. And what I have found is many managers are just furious. And I said, look at why you're furious, because you should be. But then put your anger aside and think about the person. Are they actually out to sabotage you, to sabotage the organization? And the answer is almost certainly not. So what we got to find out is 
why they're behaving that way. So what you want to do is get in there and give feedback, but you want to give feedback with your judgment removed. And I, I suggest to really do it in less than two minutes. Say, you know, for example, hey, Dave, I've been really upset because you're way behind on the number of deliverables you've committed to. You've been very good at this work. I don't know what's going on. Can you explain? And then you stop. Yep. And a lot of times when people go in and just start yelling, they don't give a person the opportunity, the benefit of the doubt. So you really got to start with the belief that people have good intentions, and they're just going against the grain of how you think the organization should run. I think that's a great point. And then the other thing I find is very often you have a good intention, I have a good intention. We both want the best for the organization, and yet we come up with two diametrically opposed approaches. And that brings us to, um, to the point called friction point, which you and I have, are talking quite a bit about. But I, I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about what is a friction point and why do we want to find it and how can we work through that? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, thank you. Well, friction points. Well, let's start with fris- friction and physics first. You okay. Know, uh, very just, short physics lesson, not too long. Okay. The, the very short one. You have a piece of wood. You're going to take some sanding paper to it. And you're going to rub it and make it smoother. You got friction. It creates heat. If you do it too powerfully, you create smoke, and you start your wood on fire. How's got that? It. Very quick. <laughs> okay. Um, so if you have friction in an organization, you can tell if you hear like yelling down the hallway. There's probably some friction in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, now the question is, are they arguing about where to go? Are they arguing about how to get there? Right. And that's really the first step because often it turns out they're arguing about where to go. And once they realize that and get a common goal, they can start moving together. And oftentimes when you get them to work on what the common goal is, they come up with the merger of their two different goals that makes it even more powerful. Now, if it turns out they're arguing about how to get there, if we get clarity on that, again, we can start to say, why do you think that's a better way to go? What are the key attributes? And when they start to line those up, they come up with a third set of ways that's even more powerful. So you want to take that friction because there's definitely energy, there's definitely passion, and you want to get it funneled so they create something better together, something that's a stronger solution than you would have had. You know, I wish I was there for like when Apple had their design teams facing off on various user interface ideas. I'm sure there was some friction, but, you know, they came up with some really beautiful products. The frictions led to some really good stuff. I think you're absolutely right. And you and I have talked about this, but we think about friction in organizations as something that has to be managed or reduced, but there's times when we don't have enough friction in an organization. So what's your thought about that? Oh, absolutely. You know, I I mentioned earlier the warring leadership team. Mm Mm-hmm. What I felt was they had too little friction in the marketplace. They had been on a survival journey for a long time, and all of a sudden their company was rich, not like they were in the past. They had sufficient income. They all of a sudden were drifting, and they lost what I would call friction in the marketplace. So they lost their tires were no longer gripping the road. And once they got reengaged with what they were trying to do in the marketplace, all the leadership fighting stopped being destructive and turned into creative fighting. Mm-hmm. They were still arguing, but now the arguments were about how to get to this mountain peak, how do we get there faster, how do we get there better, 
and it was fun fighting. It was creative, where everybody left the room with a smile on their face because they came up with something better. So absolutely, there needs to be the right amount of friction in the organization. Right, and and I think we all know about organizations where people seem to be retired in place. Everybody smiles at each other. They look at each other. They go about their day, and nobody tries to mess with the status quo. Nobody tries to do something innovative or out of the box because we don't want to rock the boat. So I, I think those are places where there's just not enough friction to bring about change. No, absolutely. You, you make me laugh on that one because I'm remembering there was this uh, one workshop I conducted a while back, and this guy was in the room, and he was like, you know, I've been here 30 years. I only got three left. <laughs> and don't, don't mess it up for me. I like where That's I am. That's right. Um, yeah. But what we worked on in that room was really getting the whole team gelled around this really, like I said, a, a mountain they had to climb. And after the workshop, people came up to me and they said, what happened to uh, Fred? He's, he's out of his office and coming over to help us on things. Wow. <laughs> he had a mountain to climb. He was energized. <laughs> That's great. This is fantastic. So it really, it really gets people going, and it creates innovation. Right, we get rid of the heat. We transform the heat into innovation. Right, we need the right amount of heat. We got to keep the things bubbling, but not on fire. <gasps> exactly, exactly. We're talking with Alan Willett. Alan is the president of Oxseeker Ox Corporation, and he is the author of Leading the Unleadable. And Alan, could you tell us if we wanted to find out more about Leading the Unleadable? Where would we go? Well, one is you can go to leadtheunleadable.com or oxseeker.net. Okay. Great. That's wonderful. Okay. Any final words of one thing that we can do if, if you're perhaps you are an unleadable or you think you might be or you have someone in your organization, what's the first thing or one thing you can take away and, and start thinking about immediately? Well, I'll give you two things. Okay. One, one is I think uh, the exceptional leaders should do these two things. One is treat trouble as information-rich data. Um, I think at the part of Pirates of the Caribbean where uh, Johnny Depp looks over his shoulder and smiles at the approaching ships, it just yep. looks like fun coming. I think okay. the exceptional leaders really look at trouble as opportunities to learn. And okay. number two, I like to always say, hey, let's do good in the world. Thank you. All right. Fantastic. We've been here with Alan Willett, president of Oxseeker Corporation and author of Lead the Unleadable. Thank you so much for being here. A pleasure to be here. This is Linda Poppy. Until next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by Leverage 2 Market Associates. If you'd like to find out how powerful marketing results can transform your organization, contact us at www.leverage2market.com. <laughs>